I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Today's sponsor is Blue Land Cleaning. Blue Land is an eco-friendly cleaning products company on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic packaging. They offer their products as a set of reusable bottles, along with cleaning tablets that you simply add to warm water to make a full bottle of hand soap or cleaning solution. Also founded by a mom with a three-year-old son. My kids loved making all these products with me. And now we have these amazing glass bottles and all different color hues uh, that make cleaning a little bit more fun, especially during quarantine. I loved interviewing Maria Russo. Maria is the former children's books editor of the New York Times Book Review. She and co-author Pamela Paul wrote How to Raise a Reader, which is like right up my alley. We had so much to talk about and even came up with this great idea, I think, of a new business. And it was just great to talk about someone who is equally passionate about reading and getting our kids to read and all the rest. So enjoy. Welcome, Maria. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Hi, Zibby. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. How to raise a reader. This is like one of the things on my mind all the time. I have four kids and I am constantly trying to like figure the answer out to this. And you've done it. You've written the book on it. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about the book. Like what inspired you to write this book? Why? tell, Tell me more about it. Well, you know, as you say, you know, I'm a mom too. I have three kids and my co-author, Pamela Paul, also has three. And there we were at the New York Times Book Review, you know, thinking about the subject all the time, really in our personal lives and in our work life, right? Because I was the children's books editor. She was and is the editor, but had previously been the children's books editor. So we just, a lot of people ask us questions all the time. There's just a constant you know, question in the air, exactly as you say, how do I raise a reader? How do I get my kids to read? How do I support my kids reading? And what are the best books for my kids to read? Which actually, as you know, we'll talk later about in some ways, that's the most challenging question for parents. You know, the other stuff can be, I think, fairly easy and joyful. You know, it's it's the, the idea that to raise a reader, that reader actually has to have access to a lot of different good books (laughs) is actually where the, the, the job of the parent comes in. So, yeah, so we just, you know, we just, you know, we start, it started out as a small digital project that we did for the times called also how to raise a reader first. It was a special thing for New York times subscribers only kind of a little extra. And it really took off. It really went viral. We got lots of reactions and, you know, probably the most, common reaction was, when will this be a book? <laughs> because people wanted to hold it in their hand. And, you know, and it just occurred to us, it's a, it's a natural, it's really obvious. I wish I had this book when my first child was born. You know, I was on the older side. And even though I'm, you know, I've been a bookish person my whole life, I was, you know, my career has been in books, you know, I didn't know that much about children's books and about reading to children, reading with children, there's so much information that parents aren't really getting, even even the most booky among us. So it just seemed, you know, I just my 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 immediate vision was like, this is a baby shower gift. <laughs> you know, this is the book I wish I had at my baby shower. And I think every every parent would want, you know, really, just as you're even just getting ready to to bring this baby home and into your family. So it just kind of took off from there. And and it's just been this really 
you know, surprisingly smooth and, and kind of joyful adventure, you know, to do this book because everyone, you start talking about the subject and people light up, you know, people have happy memories and happy, you know, associations around the, their children's books. But at the same time, as you say, you know, there's a little bit of worry. There's a lot of anxiety too. So I feel like we're also able to help a little bit with the anxiety that that all of us as parents are feeling now. So true. And books being a resource for me and probably for you during this time has been so key. All I want to do is give that resource to my kids and let them like take comfort in it the way that I have my whole life, but that it doesn't necessarily automatically happen that way. Right. It's, it's, you know, it's not as automatic as a lot of us lifelong readers think for a lot of kids, you know, for some kids it is. And, you know, your job as a parent is to get to know your individual kid and then provide the right atmosphere so that that kid can choose reading automatically. But, you know, I think probably in some ways our, one of our most powerful tips, which actually comes from research, is simply have a lot of books in your home. I mean, this is, you know, actual research showed that children who grew up in a home with a substantial amount of books, I mean, I can't remember the exact number, were more likely to become lifelong readers and to be successful in other areas of life, you know. And, you know, this was a study that was controlled for income and education. So this wasn't just about, you know, affluent, bookish literary people raising readers like they are. This was something that they identified that has to do with the presence of physical books in a child's life is a good thing. And so that's something that you can do as a parent. You can fill your house with books, you know, and, you know, we do point out it's children's books, you know, obviously that your kid, you know, books, you know, they like things you think they might choose and like, but also adult books, you know, it's really important for your child to see you reading. And, you know, one of our, one of our kind of maxims in the book that we say a lot is, and not to be judgy or anything like that, but just, you know, making people recognize if you want to raise a reader, you really should be a reader, you know, and it, it so often happens when you become a parent and we're all so busy and it's just this onrush of new responsibilities when that baby first comes, you can kind of let your own reading life slide out of the picture, right? And even if you were a big reader, a lot of people in that first year or even, you know, for years afterward, they kind of lose that connection to their own reading life. And that's not a good thing that you're doing for your children <laughs> because as a parent, you know, they're watching you. They're looking at you and saying, you know, how does my mom or my dad, you know, how do they fill their hours? What, it, what does it mean, you know, to be a grown-up? What do, what do grown-ups do? And what, what do people do? What is life like in our family? You know, and if they see people picking up books, sitting there and reading them, you know, or standing at the kitchen counter reading while they make dinner, you know, just the idea that there's people reading books in their life, that's a message. And it's really, really deep and powerful. And it's, and it's easy. It's good. You know, it's good for you too to reconnect to your, to your own reading life, to the books that you loved. And, you know, I mean, this is another one of our big messages in the book. It, it doesn't have to be 
war and peace <laughs> that you're reading. You know, I like self-help books. I like gardening books. You know, I like comics, <laughs> you know, to take the pressure off around reading for yourself and for your kids and find the time to just have that pleasure in your own life. And then as you're saying, as you you know, your kids are wandering around the house, what should I do now? It's going to be more likely that that's an activity they would choose, you know, when they do have so many others, you know, screen-based options. It's like preaching to the choir talking to you. This is like all the same stuff I try to say myself. It's it's perfect. It's really great. And you said such great stuff in your book that I hadn't really thought about in the same way. Like you say, if that you wish that there was a support system about raising around raising a reader, which is such an interesting thing, right? You have because you have to be deliberate in how you do all of these things, right? You can have a support system around helping your kids get a regular exercise, but do you, right? Do you think about it in terms of books? You should, and, and you must. That's a great point. You know that like the exercise thing, we we don't think twice about. You know, calling a, a friend and be like, "Oh, does your you know so and so want to go to the park and play soccer with your you know my kid?" You know, I've done that. But do you call a friend and say, what book is your daughter reading now? You know, my my daughter doesn't have anything at the moment. Any any recommendations? You know, that's something we should do. You know, I do do that and find that happening naturally because of my job, right? So people do come to me. I'm constantly getting texts. What should so-and-so, my daughter read, my son read? But anyone can do it, you know? And it, it's really just... It's also, for me, it's even aside from my job, I became very curious. Like, what is that kid reading? (laughs) You know? Maria, we we should start a really cool app that's like Goodreads for kids. That's like something as cool as TikTok. And they share the books. And then like, like I have to go research this now. There must be something out there. Or I should talk to the Goodreads people. But there should be something that makes it cool. And then they can see what their friends are reading. And in the same way that like, you know, my daughter has to have like this exact hydro flask or she's like not cool or whatever it is. Like they have to read these same books. Like I don't feel like there is that kind of zeitgeist around books right now for kids. I love that idea. I mean, I feel like if it if it was Goodreads, it would be associated with the moms. <laughs> like it has to be. Right. It has to be something cool. Its own. Yeah. And I think that in little micro communities of kids, it does happen. You know, like you said, you know, like, did your daughter go through the Raina Telgemeier phase? Yes. Okay. When she was reading those books, I promise you all of her friends were too. And they were trading them and talking about them, you know, so. But they weren't posting them. Right. Exactly. So if you could find a way that they would then connect to kids outside of their own little friend group. Right? How neat would it be if they could connect to somebody in like, you know, Texas who's reading the same book right now and they could have like a little chat. I mean, they're like all, maybe (laughs) I should get off this topic, but just all the kids, all my kids just want to be on social media in any form. And if we could have there be an alternative to like YouTube life hacks that are maybe, you know, bookish, something cool. Like, I don't know, why, why not? A talk about this offline because this okay, is okay. <laughs> right? I'm like totally excited about it. All right, great. I needed a new idea today. Yeah. Anyway, and then our kids could help and they yeah, could feel like all this ownership. Because I think, I think what's in the way often of ideas like this is that people assume that reading is a drag for kids. And, you know, that's something that we're kind of trying to get at in the book and that I've been trying to get at as I talk to audiences if you watch a kid with a Raina Telgemeier book or a Wimpy Kid book or, you know, the new Katie Camillo novel, that's a happy kid. That's a kid who's enjoying 
what they're doing. Kids love their books, the, the good books. What they don't love is this atmosphere of pressure around reading and this atmosphere that the teachers and the parents have taken their reading and gotten in there and made it into something that's a performance for the adults to judge, you know, and the more we can take it out of that realm. And I really think that as parents, we can do this, you know, don't ask about your kid's reading level. Don't mention reading levels in your home. Reading levels are invented. <laughs> there is there is no such thing as a reading level. <laughs> you know, this is some a system that, you know, someone came up with for some reason in the in the 1960s or 70s and they went through and they took all these children's books and assigned letters to them. You know, if you take 10 librarians, they wouldn't all agree what's an F and what's a K anyway, you know, but it's an easy way to you know, keep the factory going of, of school and, and education. And, you know, it's a way that kids can feel bad about themselves. If they're an F and their friend is a K, they feel bad. They feel left behind. And why? Everybody learns how to read. Everybody progresses through their reading. You know, yes, some kids struggle more with it. You know, kids with dyslexia, kids with other, you know, disorders that we're only really starting to understand that affect the speed of their reading, like auditory processing disorder. I mean, I don't know if you know any kids that have this, but I have to know two separate kids who have been diagnosed with this. You'd never really know it, you know, in talking to them, you might notice a slight delay when you talk to them and how they respond to you. But this is very, very crucial when it comes time to learn to read because of phonics, because, you know, you're learning to read by associating sounds with those marks on the page. So these kids have an extra step of struggle, you know, and I mean, just kids with dyslexia, it's like heroic to me, how these kids, what they go through and how they eventually become readers by creating workarounds in their own brain. You know, this is why so many dyslexic people go on to greatness <laughs> because what they've had to do just to learn how to read is, is truly, it's, it's heroic. So, you know, all of this is stuff that makes kids subtly associate reading with this realm of life that is just not fun, you know, but it doesn't have to be. So if you can create something else in your home where books are fun, books are just like, oh my God, did you see the new dog man? Can you believe he named the character that, you know, or just stuff like that, you know, you're really doing your kid a big favor. Well, it's like, imagine if you went to a bookstore and saw all these great books and then somebody beside you was like, okay, yeah, but you can only read these three. You'd be like, What? No. Why would I want to do that? I want to read all those there. Why won't you let me pick? It's like the locus of control is gone, right? Yes, exactly. And this is what people do to kids all the time. You know, I'm a huge fan of librarians because the librarians actually are on the cutting edge of this stuff. They, they don't, they know, they know the research and they watch kids. And there are many librarians in this country who are, you know, rebelling and refusing to shelve their books by, by reading level. You know, it, it's happening. So some, a lot of this that we've inherited is just, it's almost like it just won't leave our consciousness that got in there in like the sixties and the seventies and people, we're all still responding to outdated ideas, you know, it's like another good one is like, you know, the idea that comic books and graphic novels are not real books, that that doesn't, if your kid is really into reading only graphic novels, well, that's not really reading. That doesn't count. You know, that's ridiculous, you know, especially in this culture we're in, it's a, such a visual culture, right? You know, when images and words work together, it's even more powerful, you know, and this, again, like this is what was so great about doing this book was we got to 
really look at the research, the research shows that, you know, they did MRIs on the brains of kids who are reading. A kid who's reading a text with only words, you know, one side of the brain is really lit up and working, and that's great. A kid who's reading a book with images and words together, both sides of the brain are lighting up and interacting with each other. Like, that's even better for brain development, you know? This is why, of course, we have picture books at the early stages of a kid's life, but that doesn't end. Why would that end when they can read the words on their own, you know? And again, I think we've inherited this partly because it's really expensive to print pictures, you know? So in previous decades before, you know, the current technological revolution, it was just they printed the books without pictures because it was too expensive to put the, the pictures in. But we got in the idea like, oh, now you're done with pictures. You're on to words. And that's really changing. You know, librarians know it. Some of the teachers, the, the, the more, you know, up to date teachers know this, you know, and, 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 you know, but you still have parents who are, they come to us worried. Like my, my son will only read graphic novels. What should I do? I'm like, great. Give him good ones. <laughs> He's reading. Well, it's like you were talking about you like reading gardening books. If somebody was like, you can only read gardening books with no pictures, <laughs> you'd be, that would not be fun. You need the context. I mean, I think it's good to mix it up, right? They can read all types of books. I interviewed, exactly. who did I interview? Like Gene Yang, who wrote Dragon Hoops. Ah. And he was amazing. He's an educator too. And he was awesome. And I had my son here with me while I interviewed him. And he was telling my son, he's like, oh, it's great to read graphic novels, but you know, you don't have to only read, you can still mix it up. And that's great too. So yeah, you shouldn't yeah. feel bad about it, but variety is always great. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, no, it's true. But there are parents who, who really kind of lean on the kids about the graphic novels or, or create this idea that, you know, okay, that's fine that you're reading that. Now read a real book. Yeah. You know? I think if they're reading, you know, yeah. thank, thank goodness. <laughs> you, you had this one quote in the book. You say, it's stressful to be a parent. It's stressful to be a person. But I've found that even in the most difficult moments on the most challenging days, I can usually reach for a book and feel lifted up, returned to myself. On days when I felt as though I have nothing left to give to my kids, I've been able to sit next to them and open a book. We start reading and the world looks different. I loved that. That was oh, like, it's just so great. I mean, right? That, that it's, you know, reading helps us to connect to our inner life and to what's most important. You know, and I, I just think that that's why when your kids grow up and, and leave, sadly, as they as they do and they will, the memories of reading with your kid can be some of the richest and most powerful memories you have. Because it's those moments when you just feel so connected and so in such a in such a nice, real way, you know, and so that's another one of the gifts that I think, you know, you can give yourself and your kid when 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 times are hard is to sit with a book and to let let yourself be reminded of the of the experience the timeless experience of reading that you're going to carry with you from your childhood to your right to your old age you will always have that it's yours you know and you if you give it to your kids then you're giving them that that option too you know and it's really true just even just as a parenting technique <laughs> you know there are so many days where you just feel like a failure as a parent, and I just haven't done anything right. I might, they hate my personality, my, you know, like everything is. And then you pick up a book and you're just suddenly you're the person reading this incredible piece of magic, you know, and everything you just feel better. 
It's true. Although I have to say, I went through this period of time, or I shouldn't say I went through, it happens occasionally where I'm in one of these like sad moods where I'm so sleep deprived or overwhelmed or whatever, and I am fighting back tears as I'm reading to my kids. So I've developed this strategy in case this helps anybody else, where I have to I count the letters in each word as I'm reading them. So if it's like the tree is big. I would, in my head, I would be like three, four, two, three. And then it would allow me to get out of my own mind enough that I could just like keep reading to the kids and stop crying. Is that pathetic? That's that's (laughs) interesting. Yeah. Well, there is also, I mean, the, the great thing about so many children's books is that, you know, the great ones are written for adults too, you know, especially picture books are meant to be read by an adult to a child. So if you're going to be a successful picture book creator, your books have to speak to the adult too, or they, they simply won't pick it up to read to the child, right? So that's often the case that the adult is having an emotional experience that maybe the kid isn't at that moment. You know, I've, I've had that too. I'm always surprised by what makes my kids cry versus what makes me cry. And yeah, it's in, it, it, I find it a little embarrassing sometimes, if, you know, when I'm crying and reading a book to my kid and my kid is like, you know, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 I haven't even tried that, any technique to, to stop it. <laughs> um, if you, if you need to, if you're in a desperate I like that. moment, like I have been, try that. <laughs> so Maria, how, like, how did you get to be where you are in life? Like, can you back me up to the beginning yeah. of this trajectory? Even just like a, a quicker synopsis yeah. of how, how did you end up as the children's books editor at the New York times? And, and, you know, and postscript, I, I, I just left that job last week and started a new job. I'm, I saw that. Yeah, I'm actually editing picture books now. You know, I was at the New York Times for five and a half wonderful years, and I love that. But, you know, this is another dream I had, which is to actually work on the books. So, yeah. It's a new, it's a new imprint. What's it, what's it called again? Astria? It's called, well, the overall publishing house is called Astra Publishing House, and the imprint, the picture book imprint that I work for is called Mine Edition, and it's actually an established brand and imprint in Europe started in in Austria, Switzerland, France, lots of other countries and they the books are published in the US and they're beautiful, you know, very art, you know, art forward as they say, very much about beautiful illustration and high quality book production and so my job now is to expand this brand into the US and create more books by American authors and illustrators and create more awareness for the mine edition books in the US because they're really, they're really beautiful and great picture books. So yeah, so that is a fun thing. But so, you know, I'm someone who has gone through several stages in my career. I've, I've switched what I do a lot, even though it's always been in the same basic area of books, you know? So I started out right after college, I went to graduate school and I did a PhD in American literature at Columbia. And I thought I would be a professor and Toward the end of that, as I was finishing my dissertation, I just started to get this rumbling of a feeling like I want to work for, I want to, I love writing and I want to write for a bigger audience, you know, than when you're a professor. So, you know, I love the teaching, but there is this other part of it, which actually determines the course of your career, which is publishing for other academic readers. And, you know, that just seemed like a bit of kind of a drag (laughs) and I wasn't sure I was up for it, you know. So that was when I kind of made the transition into journalism. And that was great. You know, it's, you know, career changing is hard. It's not something that everyone wants to do, you know, and 
just hard. I was in my late twenties and early thirties and just starting out. So, you know, I, you know, I always say I got lucky, but I guess I also was really tenacious. Like I just have had, I have a, I get a vision of where I want to go and I just do anything <laughs> to get there. So, you know, so I, you know, grew up in a, in, I grew up in Queens in a book loving house. You know, my dad was an English teacher. My mom was a nurse. So, you know, not fancy people, but People, our house was filled with books and that was what, you know, my parents are readers and that was, you know, again, this is what we were saying. This was such a gift to me. So, you know, one thing that, that you can really keep in mind if you're, you know, as you're raising your kid and wor- if you're worried about if your kid is going to be a reader or, or do well, or even just be, will my kid do well in school? I mean, first of all, the studies show that kids who are independent readers do well in school. So if you're hovering over your child, he's not becoming an independent reader, <laughs> you know, that meaning a child who actually chooses on his own to read. If you choose on your own to read, you're more likely to be someone who does well in school. Anyway, so so my childhood just basically showed me that, you know, when books feel like home, that's a good thing because you get to school and school feels like home, you know? And that's, I think, like kind of a key concept for me is that I, I have never felt kind of intellectually insecure, <laughs> you know what I mean? Even though, you know, I, whatever, I, you know, I, I don't come from any kind of fancy background at all, but books are home to me, you know? And so that just really helped me at every stage of my career. So you know, I, I also just, I really loved criticism of books too. So I love reading books and I love talking about books. I love the kind of writing that, you know, kind of gets into like, what is, what is so great about this book (laughs) or what is so bad about this book? Or why does, you know, what is appeals to this kind of person about this book? Like, I just really love that. So that led me to criticism and, you know, I started writing reviews and eventually, you know, so, so much of when, how you get where you want to go is just being really brave. And like, you know, you meet someone who works in a place you want to work and you actually say, and this was really hard for me. Like, I would like to write a review for you. How do I do that? You know? So I just kind of had a series of encounters with people like that, where I had to be really, really brave because I'm inherently actually a shy person when I first meet people. And so I could say that I was lucky, but also I just did it, you know, so that's why I ended up, you know, and also I like the small canvas of the reviews. So I, I had a bunch, you know, for years, I've had many, many reviews in the New York Times. And, you know, when I was not working there at Washington Post, I worked at the LA Times. You read one of my 800 or 1200 word reviews, I promise you that took me like a solid two weeks <laughs> of working almost, you know, a lot. I go over and over and over until every little bit of it is, is like how I want it to be. So, so that's, that's also, I think, you know, so some of my, you know, I, I look back at my life and I regret maybe that I haven't written the long books I wish I had written because I've been so obsessing over like 1200 word pieces, you know, but that's kind of how it, how it worked for me. And yeah. And then the more, you know, just being around these children's books all day and in this atmosphere of journalism where everything's got to be quick, everything, you know, the conversations don't tend to last more than, you know, 15 minutes. That would be like, you know, people will actually say, I have to get back to work. <laughs> like, but is it talking about books our work? You know? So I just wanted to be in an atmosphere where you could talk about books and create things that lasted, you know, for a longer time. So anyway, so this is, that's the new journey I'm on now, which is to see how I like working in that atmosphere of actually making the books, which is just a whole other. And it's just like, it's so incredible. These, how hard people work, how much they care, 
how, you know, I'm in, I'm in awe of illustrators, you know, so because I'm such a word person, you know, I've spent my life obsessing over 800 words, as I said, I just cannot believe what they do, how well they do it, how natural, like, I'm just, I, I just, I get such joy from beautiful art and illustration. So now just working with illustrators has been, you know, the nice thing about this stage for me. But again, it's all part of the same part of my life where I'm just really about children's books and helping people find the good ones, you know, because like I said, like your, you know, your job in is not to teach your child to read or to keep track of your child's reading level. You know, your job is to create an atmosphere around book that's fun and joyful and spontaneous and lighthearted even, you know, like, as we said, like a gardening book is a book, uh, you know, for kids, the equivalent would be the Guinness book of world records. That's a book, you know, for my, my younger son, we, you know, the NBA statistic book, the year 2019 in the NBA is on his, you know, that's a book, you know, so creating an open-hearted atmosphere around, you know, printed matter with images and words in your kid's life. That's good. You know, so, so that's really been my, my passion now is just keeping the spirit of joy and acceptance around children's books alive. Like whether I'm at the New York times or now at, at mine edition and Astro house trying to get the, get some really good books out there into the world for kids. Just one last question. Do you have any advice to aspiring authors? Oh yeah. Okay. Authors of children's books. Whatever. Okay. You can, it can be, it doesn't have to be. You know, I, just think that the stuff that comes from your deepest places, like your heart, is going to be your best stuff. And you have to, it's going to be always a process of going deeper and deeper inside yourself and kind of think, why do I want to write this? You know, and and staying true to that. And don't listen to the naysayers. <laughs> when, you, when you know you're writing from a real place, just keep at it. And you're going to get a lot of knows you're going to, a lot of people don't understand why you would want to write about that. That's not acceptable. That's weird. Or that's boring. You know, stick with what you feel from your deepest place is your passion. Love that. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Bye. (laughs) Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks to Blue Land Cleaning, our sponsor for today's episode. Blue Land Cleaning, get your single-use plastic packaging, make that a thing of the past with this eco-friendly cleaning products company. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 